There are two messages that I'm going to go over. The first part, they're going to be two parts. The first part that we're going to be talking about is going to be about grace. And the title is called Overdrive of Life, The Pace of Grace. Now, this piece is very important because I know there are many of us here that we are so busy. Busy, 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 busy. Busy for the things of God or busy for the things of work or very busy for the things of the family only. But we're very busy, 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 busy. Too busy to even enjoy the contribution. Too busy to enjoy the aspects of life during that process. We're too busy. So God is calling us to rest on his grace. To learn how to pace yourself. Because you're going to burn out. We're going to burn out. Let's look at Exodus 18, 17. Another act that we need to do. Open your Bibles. And I give permission. Go into your apps, into your phones, into your iPads. I give permission because the most important thing right now is that you get God's word. And we allow God's word to speak, not me. Okay? Don't look at me. Yes. Exodus 18. Chapter 18. Verse 17 to 26. Now, this is a very important verse because Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, had a message for Moses. Moses had been called by God to, we all know this, to take an... Um, to take the, 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 the people to the promised land, but they went around in the desert for 40 years. There was a lot of work to do if you really think about leadership. Now, because you're thinking about yourself, I want you to think about yourself as a leader, not necessarily as a leader of this house, not necessarily as a leader of your job, I want you to look at yourself as a leader of your home, a leader of your own life. Okay? So we're all leaders in every aspect. Think yourself as a leader. If you have been called and you are responding to your call, you are a leader. You're a leader at home. You might be a leader at work. You might be a leader in your community. But you're a leader. You're a leader also of yourself. So let's go into the verse and see how this process began. So Moses, father-in-law, said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people, the people he's leading, who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel. And God 
will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, godly men, men of truth, hating coerceness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all, and let them judge the people at all times. So as leaders, we're called to judge. Then it will be that every great matter shall be brought to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, and for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses yielded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged the small cases themselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word and your direction. We trust, Heavenly Father, that you will be speaking to us individually in Jesus' name. So this speaks of an order, an order to find pace. Sometimes we think that the only way that something is going to be done right is if we do it ourselves. And what winds up happening is that you become the jack of all trades and the master of none. You're carrying the burden all by yourself. And one thing I want to show, the framework of this that I saw was very clearly. While I truly believe that each one of us hears from God individually, God didn't call us to only hear from him directly. That's not the only way. God called us to be mentors for one another so that we would not be mistaken on how we interpret God's word or God's direction. Jethro, that's his name, right? Jethro, am I saying right now? Jethro. Jethro was the mentor to Moses. He didn't say, I'm telling you to do this. He's saying, you are, wear, you are wearing yourself thin. You're going to burn yourself out and the people you're leading. And those of you who are leaders of your house, you are burning yourself out and your family. At your jobs, you're burning yourself out and your staff. In the ministry, you're burning yourselves out and the members. Okay? I, individually. But he's saying, 
pray about this. That's the first thing he's saying. He's saying, pray to God. And then he gives him counsel. He says, this is what you should consider doing. You should teach them the statutes, the principles, the boundaries. Teach them the boundaries. Teach them the skill. Give them the ability. Give them all the information. Right? As a leader, you do that. Okay? Have them come to you with the big things. And those small things, those that you are training up, have them learn how to handle those things. Let them judge those things. So he, he's actually showing a hierarchy of leadership. Okay? And then he says, this way you will have peace because you are equally sharing the burden. Okay? Now I gave you the instructions. Go and pray about it. That's what he's saying. So God is showing that there is a mentor that came to Moses. Moses didn't hear. And we know that Moses went up to the mountain and he heard directly from God too. But sometimes we think that we only hear from God only all the time. And that's the only way that we get counsel. No. I'm sorry, but that's not true. Because the Bible shows us many times that even godly men who heard directly from God also had mentors. What did Moses do? Did he challenge his mentor? No. Did he question what his mentor said? No. The Bible said... He listened, he went and prayed, and he went and he did, and he got peace. So this message is teaching us also how to find a balance in our lives. And so at the conference, what we gathered from this was five points. And I'm going to go quickly because the second part of the message is deep. This first part talks has five points. In order for you to be at the pace of grace, you have to consider Jesus' yoke, God's yoke. His word says that his yoke is easy and the burden light. When we analyze what we do, what the question that we should be asking ourselves is, What's the level of our yoke? Is our yoke easy or is our yoke hard? If the yoke is hard and difficult, it isn't from God. If it's a burden that's heavy on you, it isn't from God. Because his word says that his yoke is easy and the burden light. So sometimes the harder you work, the fewer your call. That means that you're not in your call if you have to work so hard. Remember, God also calls us to do the parts that we can do, and he takes over the parts that we can't. 
And when we work real hard in our jobs, at home, in our ministry, then we're not allowing any room for God to do what he knows how to do best, which is what we don't know how to do. Then the next question is, where did the yoke come from then? Where did your yoke come from then? If it is in light and it is and, and the burden is heavy, then it isn't from God. Then where did it come from? Did it come from your ego? Did it come because that's something you always wanted to do? Where did it come from? You need to ask yourself that, and you need to analyze that. When you're about to do a good work, be it ministry, work, how many of you know that it's all ministry? You know, I know it's all ministry, right? You can't separate the work that you do at, for an employer, the work that you do for your community, or work that you do for the ministry. It's all ministry. And you're doing it all unto God, right? Because we're very good at department of separating things, compartmentalizing, right? We, we're so good at that. We're so, okay, this is for the ministry, okay? And we have our little rules on how that should go, right? This is for the job. We have our own rules on how we reign there. This is for the home. No. No, it's all ministry because we do everything unto God. And everything that God has provided us has been for that purpose. Right? And this is going to get us to the second part of the message. So just, you know, um, touch that a little bit, you know? We have to be careful on our inner circles. Are you spending time with who demands your time or instead of those who deserve it? Many times we get burdened because we are spending time with people who demand our time, not people who deserve it. And the problem with that is that when we're too busy with the demands, not light, a heavy burden, the people who really deserve our time get the short end of the stick. So do we, are we spending more time at work than we are at home? Are we spending more time at the ministry than we are at home? What's your order? The order should be God first, your spouse, your children, your spiritual children. And you should have an intentional schedule where you have a meeting time with them on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, so that you can impart and be part of their lives. Many families break up because there is no person that is present. You know, I had my father, my father was always home, you know, was home, 
with us, but he was never home. And when he was home, he wasn't present. He, he didn't know what colors I liked, what, what, what flavor ice cream I liked. He, he did up until I was four. Then after that, my father didn't know me anymore. And he was my first love. And there are times that at 52 years old, I still feel like the four-year-old who's being left abandoned. Because I have a point of reference. I know how it feels to have and then not to have. How many of our loved ones feel that way? We're not present. In our schedule, we should have a weekly calendar that also makes time for God. Because how can we download his counsel? How do we know that we're in the right direction if we don't set out a map? And the map has to include the scriptures. Spending some time with God and studying his word. So that when we do come to being present at home or at work or at ministry, being present, we know that we're on the right track and the yoke is not heavy. We also have to take care of our health. Seeking the pace of grace and balance in a godly life includes being healthy. Going to bed early, eating right, so you will be fresh, not burned out, not stressed. There are people that said there was a suggestion at the conference that um, the, the pastor's wife, of, um, by the way, the conference was, um, the speaker was Larry Stockscale, if anybody wants to um, know, and, and this is his book. The remnant, 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 R-E-M-N-A-N-T, restoring the call of a personal integrity. This is what he spoke about. His wife suggested that we should have, this is how we should eat. We should have a breakfast of a queen or a king. Big breakfast. We should have a lunch of a princess or a prince smaller and then dinner should be actually the snack <laughs> fruit for dinner a vegetable for dinner because like that you burn out all the stuff you ate at the beginning right you should consider having an annual family vacation give yourself permission to relax to go away and going away doesn't mean it has to cost you money. It means going away from the everyday stuff. Retreat yourself from the everyday stuff, even if you do stay home. It's good. Relax. Stay, huh? Staycation. You, there's so many staycation. There's so many things you can do while you just stay home 
and still you can redo your schedule, you can get back with God, you could, there's so many things that you can do. Take a nice walk, regroup. And then they spoke about money. Because that's also part of the balance of being in pace with grace. Because we all know that that's what drives a lot of us sometimes. Having to make the money. Not that we necessarily love the money, but we have to make it because we have to pay rent. We have to pay the kids' tuition. We got to pay clothing. We got to pay for this. We got to pay for that. And before you know it, money is what's driving our life, our everyday life. I got to go to work. I got to go. I got up there. Two, three, four jobs. This is a suggestion. Controlling your money is managed by a margin set at 90%. You know how paper has margins? Well, they represent boundaries, right? So this is what we should be doing. Um, and this spoke to me, too. Save 10%. Always have three months' rent minimum saved. Because we never know. Live on 80%. The other 10% goes to God. And then necessarily in that order, it should be pay the 10% to God, save the 10%, and then um, live on 80. And the last piece of this message is be careful about opportunities. Every opportunity, as good as it may sound, that comes to you, they're not necessarily God. You may have the skill, you may have the ability, you may have even had the desire for a very long time. Does not mean it's from God. You need to pray. And we need to seek God's counsel. And be able to talk to a mentor. And if you don't have a mentor, you should consider finding a mentor. Someone that you can interpret things back and forth with, discuss, process, process things out of your head so that you'll know when it's you, when it's God, when it's your ego. Not every opportunity is from God. And that's why sometimes we fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. But the word tells us that even though the enemy may have meant something for evil, God is always there turning it for good. Right? But that doesn't mean that we don't pay the consequences for that. Yeah, God will pick us up. He'll brush us off, but we'll still have the wound. And we'll still have the scar and the mark that will remind us that we chose a wrong opportunity. How many scars do you have from wrong opportunities? Don't forget, the burden is supposed to be light. 
Now we're going to turn into part two. Thank you, Lord. These are two messages, Pastor. They're really hard to give in one <laughs> sitting, in one standing. <laughs> this one is called Working on the Part of You That is Unseen. Unseen. The one that no one sees. This one is about character. You know, character is a really hard thing to fix or to, or to develop. Because character comes from the deep inside, deepest part of a person's heart. It's, it's, it's under, it's buried under all of our teachings, our preachings, our lessons, our experiences, character is under it. So the older we are, the more stuff, good and bad, that's it on top of it. But good character comes out like, like light from all of that. Good character just comes out of that, emanates from all the stuff. And, and I truly believe that everything that God deals with us about, everything, everything, no matter how talented we are in a skill, you know, we could be a great preacher, a great teacher, you know, a great business person. We could be excellent. Everything that God works with us about, it's about character. So God is encouraging us to look at our character in this season. It's not only for this one message. He has shown us all wonderful things and how to do programming, how to dress up right, how to live right. But that's all good if character doesn't emanate. Good character does not emanate from all of that. That's where that light comes from. And it's always tested when no one is seeing it. You know that? That opportunity when someone, um, you go to the store and the cashier gives you the, the wrong change and gives you $10 extra. And we go, oh, well, her bad. <laughs> Thank you, God. And the $10 go inside our pocket. Your character is being tested. Your integrity. I don't think that I have to say so much about this because I don't want to, I don't think God's intention is to beat you up. But you know. You know, God is going to bring you, bring to your memory right now what that is. All those things that 
you need to work on. We need to work on. Because believe me, he's working on me. This is a quote from Larry Stocksdale. A man can have a gift without an anointing. An anointing comes from the brokenness at the cross. So you haven't been broken. There's, there's, there's a certain degree of anointing that might be questionable. And again, I want you to see yourself as a leader of your life in spite of what circumstances you're in and regardless of what title or roles you play. You're a leader of your own life, right? A lot of, I love Maxwell, John Maxwell. He's a wonderful writer. And he also has a Bible, if you don't know, um, on leadership. And he has a, a, a graph there that I really thought was appropriate for this message. And the graph is um, great leaders, good leaders. Now, in our English language, who here would love, love, love to be a great leader? How about a good leader? All your hands should be up. All your hands should be up. I had a friend, a partner where I used to work years ago. Um, it's so funny because we used to come up with a lot of great stuff, conferences all over the, the countries and and um, every time we thought of something like great, it turned out to be such a burn. We did it, it will become great. But at the end of the big thing, she would look at me and she goes, whose great idea was this? And I go, hmm, either yours, it was your great idea. She goes, it was a great idea. It was not a good idea. Now, you're gonna understand what that means, right? And so for, throughout the years, I had to work with her for five years, and throughout the years, we will always ask ourselves when we came up with such brilliant ideas, we will ask, is this great or is this good? And that's how we would measure if we were going to move on it or not. Now, let me tell you what we, what we have here is a list of great leaders and good leaders. This you need to write. A great leader has to do with our competency, our skill, our ability, our greatness. A good leader has to do with our character. You can become incompetent, you know. God forbid, all we need is one bad accident or something else. And if, you use, if you're competent because of your hands, you can't use them again. There goes your competency in that level. Do we ever think about that? The last thing I said that competency, a good, great leader has to do with our competency. Good leader has to do with our character. 
And what I was prefixing with that is that you can have competencies, right, and lose them or not have the ability to use them anymore because it depends. Your, comp your, comp your competency could be based on your hands, on something that you do with your hands. And then if you go into a car accident or some sort of accident, you can't use your hands again, there goes that competency. Or your feet. Or your mind. You know, some of us, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of cases where they're brilliant people, brilliant minds, and as they get older, they get Alzheimer's and they get all these kinds of, so they're not competent anymore in that level, right? So competency can be lost. Character can't. Good character can't. That's something that if you have good character, you take to the grave with you. That's the difference. Sometimes we get it twisted. We think that competency is what makes who we are great. No. It's our character. Great leaders make us effective. Great leadership make us effective in our work. Good leadership makes our work constructive. The difference is that we, we are effective in the work that we do, okay? But when you are constructive, you are doing a work that will stay for good. It will affect, it will have an impact on somebody. So I think it's better to be constructive than to be a good hard worker. Great leadership enables our course to progress. Our greatness enables us to progress. So we get better. We, me, the flesh gets better. But good leadership enables us to choose the right course. Now I want to park here for a little bit. I want to park here for a little bit because sometimes we think we got to be in everything. You can't do it all. You'll be the jack of all trades and the master of none. Not only that, you don't make room for anybody else because you're so great. You're the great minister. You're the great teacher. You're the great boss. You're the great police officer. You're the great this. Great that, great mother. Great. We're great, right? But are we being constructive? Are we, be, are we choosing a good course? Are we focusing on being the master of at least one thing? Because God did not call us to be great in everything. God called us for a call, for a people, for a thing. Great leadership means we have good heads. A healthy brain, good heads. Good leadership means you have a good heart. I want you to soak that one in. Because we got a lot of great minds in here. 
Great leadership ensures our skills will influence. It will ensure. We're great leaders. My skill will influence you. But will my service impact you? Good leadership ensures that my service, our service, will impact. I want to read, I want everybody to go to 2 Thessalonians. No, actually, I'm sorry. Let's go first to Psalms 15. I'm sorry, Pastor. I know that I have very little time. Psalms 15 speaks about a character. So I want to make sure that you know that this is not a Mickey message. It's not a Mickey message. I, 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 was, I was good be being a great leader <laughs> until I discovered the difference. So believe me, I got some knees to put back to practice, okay? I got to do some knees, right? Um, Psalms 15 speaks about character. And it's not only about character. It speaks about the character of those who may dwell with the Lord. And it starts like this. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Meaning in your presence. In your holy of holies. Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and, walk, and works righteousness. Righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a veiled person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at, at usury, right? Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Now let's go to Second Thessalonians, and I want to start in um, chapter three. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from the unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And, he, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we commanded you to do. 
Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now, speaking to all of us, this is a warning. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tra um, traditions which, is, which he receives from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to anyone, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're speaking about integrity, and I'm going to go quickly, but hopefully um, purposeful and fruitful to you. It is all really about God's character through us. This is really what God's intention is, is that he manifests himself through us. And it's really difficult for him to do that when we are not open to his counsel. And when we're not open to killing our own flesh. Integrity. Integrity speaks about the things that God wishes for us. And one of the things that we were talking about at the conference was about money. Again, a money issue. The Bible has a lot of stories about money and about people in the, in, who try to, to, to trick God. Like um, the couple that was supposed to exactly Ananias and was his wife and Sapphira. She, they said, I'm going to give God a certain amount. They agreed. They're going to sell everything. And they're going to give God to the church, right? Uh-huh. And then somehow in the process, whatever their thinking was, they decided, you know what? I'm not going to give it all. Just, we just need a little bit maybe to go on vacation or something, right? And then we'll give the rest. Nobody else knew about it, but God did. And that was a heavy price to pay. He struck them dead right there. Okay, that's teaching us about how important integrity is to God, that he will end our life here. We're called to pay our bills on time. This speaks about trust and reliability when we talk about integrity. If we're not paying our bills on time, then we're not, you know, we're not honoring our promise to whoever we borrowed the money in the first place. The world has a way of ha having us um, accountable for it by us paying late fees and penalties and those things, right? And we think sometimes that that's justifiable. Okay, so I'll pay the extra $25 or, or $35, you know. Um, I, I, this is more important over here than me paying this bill. And they'll get $35 more from me. But that's not the point. 
while they're saying, okay, I'm going to get your $35, did you know that that's also messing up your credit? That, that's their other way of holding you accountable. But deeper than that, did you know that God is watching that you are not trustworthy? Because you made a promise and you didn't keep it. This speaks of integrity. Sometimes we think that integrity issues are those big issues like committing adultery, um, killing somebody, um, um, all those big things. But those little things are the things really that God is speaking to us about. Paying your tithes. That's a promise. When, when we... When, when, we, when, God, when God calls you to himself, you have a choice of saying yes or no. Just like, you know, when you're mating with somebody, you have a choice of saying yes or no if, 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 the, if your partner asks you to live with them for the rest of your life. You have a choice. And when you say yes to God... There are other levels of things that we go along with that, right? We go into, you know, allowing God to do a work in us, allowing God to show us his principles and his, and, and his order so that we can live a peaceful, because it's, all this is really about for us, for us to be better, right? So we also promise, because God tells us here, look, I'm giving you 100 bucks, yeah, glory to God. It's giving me the health to make the money or, or, or the ability to be blessed by the money, whatever. God, glory to God, right? And God is saying, just give me 10 bucks back. I'm just asking you for 10 bucks back. He's, he doesn't need the buck. He doesn't need the $10. He's just testing your heart. And we can't. Which many, many of us don't pass that. Many of us won't even give him the $10 after he gave us the 100 Oh, no, God, I need these 10 bucks. God's telling you, yo, you didn't have the 100 before. How, how, how all of a sudden are you going to need the 10 bucks? Oh, but that's not fair. To who? To who? God gave you the hundred bucks. It's not fair to him. You're right. It's not fair. And your ten bucks has to be out of the hundred, not out of the eighty that you get after taxes. So it's ten bucks. It's ten percent of your net. And save another ten percent. I'm not going to go any further in that area. But integrity also has to do with commitment. A commitment occurs when someone perceives that you have promised something. Granted, some pushy people may interpret your silence or your head bopping up and down during their proposal as a commitment. However, a real commitment is not a misunderstanding but a genuine obligation to make a good faith. And not a good faith effort. That's another thing. 
that, you know, God is really upset about. We have a lot of good intentions in, in, in the house of God. And I'm speaking in general, not only us here. We have a lot of great intentions. But intentions don't get us anywhere if they're not followed through with actions. So we're very quick to say, I'll volunteer. Yeah, I'll be there. And then as soon as the time comes, we're not there. Yes, Lord, I want to serve you. And then when God calls you to serve, we don't. That speaks of character, integrity, and commitment. The Bible declares that a man of integrity swears to his own hurt and does not change. We just saw that in Psalms 15.4. Commitment that has to do with your word, your follow-through. You know, my mother, that's one thing my mother always taught us. We may be poor, meaning financially poor, not in spirit. <laughs> financially poor. And we may leave this life still financially poor. But one thing that she always imparted in us is that your word, your word should have follow through. Don't say you're going to do something if you really are not going to do it. And thank you for the intention, but no thanks. That's really what the Bible speaks about. Because we want to look good instead of be good. We got to stop trying to look good. And we just got to be good. Truthfulness. Integrity means a commitment to the entire truth. It is following the scriptures mandated to provide things honest in the sight of all men. We see this in Romans 12, 17. If you leave out any permanent fact in an effort to persuade, it is a lie. A lie is simply any intent to deceive. Therefore, lies are not only what you say, but also what you allow people to believe for untruthful purposes. This is an important word, and intentionally withholding important information, important truth that leads people to wrong conclusions does not show integrity. The root of all dishonesty is pride and insecurity. Those are the two spirits behind that. Pride and insecurity. Those who appear shady, slippery, sneaky, devious, have a deep sense of insecurity that they will be rejected if their faults are known. But there is an answer to this problem. Just admit it. Bring your pride to the cross and be transparent. People will not reject you. Actually, they will respect you. There are two more before I close. Purity. Purity refers to the inward control of the fleshly lust, thoughts, and actions. 
It means unmixed, a state of being without compromise. It means uncontaminated, free from outside corruption. Isn't it interesting that something pure is also called unadulterated? The word of God gives a clear standard for the moral purity. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters or, or, or adulterers or, nor homosexuals or thieves nor converse or drunkenness persuaders will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. And the final word is example. The word example means for one to be emanated. The Greek word means mimic, to behave in such a way that another can copy it exactly. Paul constantly holds his disciples, be imitators of me. We see that in 1 Corinthians 4.16 and 11.1. Modeling an exemplary lifestyle is the essence of discipleship. Nothing flawed is mass-produced. When you strive to make yourself an example, you are thus preparing for multiplication. Your example for your family, your business, your community makes you the leader. You have a realm of influence regardless of what you do for a living or what title you bear or don't bear. In that realm, people are watching to see if your actions match your words. Your example is important. And as Christians, we are called to be examples in every aspect of our lives. If we have to look over our shoulder before we act, we need to ask ourselves, are we a good example? Mm -hmm.